When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome once again to the QB11 show. I'm Doug Scott and joined, of course, as always, by QB11. How you doing? I'm doing great. I'm uh, really, really excited about this episode. I think this is going to be the best one yet. So yeah, we I know we have a special guest today. You want to tell us all who he is? Yeah, so uh, we were lucky enough to get uh, offensive coordinator Kenny Dillingham to come on the come on the show and um, kind of get into the weeds a little bit, not too far because he didn't want to get any give anything away for the for the upcoming season. But uh, just really excited for you guys to hear the interview that we just recorded with Coach Dillingham and um, kind of get to know the philosophy behind our offense a little bit more. Yeah, I'm really excited. I think the fans are really going to like this episode. Um, there's a lot of great content. It It's sufficiently sophisticated for those who like that, but also I think there's a lot to understand at the surface level for those who maybe don't have quite as much understanding of all the nicks and crannies and the nuance that you do, of course. Um, before we, we play that, is there, is there any other content we want to talk about briefly? I know we're waiting for realignment news, if it ever comes, probably another year away. I'm just excited that we're starting to talk football again and camp is only a couple weeks away. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're two weeks away from camp right now. Football's right around the corner. Um, I, I would love to start focusing more on football and less on realignment and less on NIL and all of the other things. But I do think we have another really good guest lined up for next week. Um, and one of the leading NIL attorneys to kind of come in and maybe put some of the misconceptions to bed. Um, also kind of give a better understanding to what these contracts look like and what, and maybe what some parents need to be looking for. Uh, in in regards to potential problems with these contracts. Yeah, look forward to that one coming up. But I think um, maybe without further ado, we just kick off your interview with, uh, with Kenny Dillingham. Let's do it. Perfect. So we're really excited to welcome in our first coaching guest to the QB11 podcast. We're bringing in uh, offensive coordinator Kenny Dillingham. Coach Dillingham, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Doing great. How about yourself? I'm doing wonderful. So we're really excited to have you. Um, we pride ourselves on not being the basic fan, fan podcast. We don't want to um, stick on the surface level. We'd like to get as deep as you're comfortable going without obviously giving away trade secrets or putting yourself at a disadvantage for the season. So um, don't worry about explaining things in dumbed down terms. If I have to make an entire another podcast explaining certain terminologies, we'll do that. Um, well, we just, we just want to kind of dig underneath the surface a little bit, get to know you, your philosophy, your background, and kind of how this all came to be, um, if that sounds good with you. Sounds great. Excellent. So I guess we'll start off uh, with the first question I've got for you. So um, back in January or February, whenever this took place, when, when Coach Lanning approached you about being his OC, uh, what was that conversation? Was there any conversations about the type of offense that he saw his program running? Um, if so, what was the criteria, and had, how did that fit in with your own philosophical preferences? I mean, he just wanted to be efficient. I think when it comes to offense, uh, you know, any, anybody involved in football want to be efficient. You know, it's not about your points per game. 
Uh, it's not about your yards per game. It's about your points per possession. And I think when, when we spoke, we talked about efficiency in an offense and how many points do you get every time your guys touch the ball. And we didn't talk run game. We didn't talk pass game. We just talked overall philosophy of formation usages, personnel usages, and getting the playmakers the football. And me and Coach have worked together in the past, and we see the game on the same, on the same wavelength, even though we're on other sides of the ball. Uh, so it was, it was something that we both were on the same page with. We want to score. We want to score as many points as we can. But more importantly, we want to score as efficiently as possible. Nice, nice. So I guess this kind of leads into another natural question. Then you guys had mentioned a couple times in a couple of different press conferences over the last few months, uh, wanting to get up close to as close to 80 game, plays a game offensively as possible, um, which is a pretty aggressive mark from a tempo standpoint. Um, how does that tie into your guys' fourth down philosophy? Are you guys planning to be aggressive? Do you believe in the analytics on fourth down? What are your criteria for fourth down situations? I think the 80 play mark, we're not going to, I mean, who knows how many plays a game we're going to run. I think it's more, we want to present the fact that we can play fast at all times. You know, I think that kind of got blown out of proportion a little bit. Uh, We just want to present tempo at all times. And in terms of the fourth downs, uh, I think that's going to be, you know, variated by game, you know, game by game situation. Uh, What coach Lanning uh, believes going into that week gives us the best chance to win. So I don't think there's a cookie cutter philosophy to that. Uh, I know we're going to have a plan on offense uh, that if he ever says go for it, we're going to have a plan on every single down and distance uh, to go for it. I know me and Coach Lanning are going to be in communication for that. But in terms of uh, an overall, are we going to go for it every fourth and two? That's going to be a game-by-game decision by Coach Lanning. It's kind of uh, based off of how, how comfortable and how confident we are uh, you know, in the plan that week and how confident he is in the game plan. Yeah, and, and kind of tying into that too then, does that mean are you going to be in the box or are you planning to be down on the sideline this season? Still up in the air. Uh, I've been in the box pretty much my whole career. Uh, so that's still up in the air right now. Uh, I would assume I'll be in the box, but like I said, that's still, there's still a little bit of a chance that I come down. Okay, absolutely. And, and I guess that, again, ties in again. Uh, what does the offseason process look like, maybe in comparison to a season where you're, you have some staff continuity um, taking over in a brand new conference, installing a brand new offense with a bunch of new assistants that as far as I'm, as, as far as I can tell, you haven't um, worked with in the past. Um, what, what does that look like? Or when did you guys start putting together your, your preliminary game plans and um, how far back are you going on film study for, for these new conference opponents? Yeah, I think for us, we're worried about ourselves right now. And I think with that, you know, we tried to hire the best coaches we could hire uh, not limited to two guys we've worked with. I think sometimes people get put in a bubble in the hiring process and they want comfort, uh, especially young guys. They want the comfort of people that have been around them that'll do what they tell them to do and, and only do that. And that's not how I was. It's not what I've been up in. That's not what I believe in. I believe in surrounding yourself with the best guys possible. So Coach Lang and I went out and surrounded us, surrounded myself with, I think, you know, one of the best offensive staffs in college football. And because of that, we built the offense around what everybody knows, not just what I know. We took what I know and what I believe in, and we added things from every single portion on our staff and things that they've done well. So I think the putting together the offense was, was everybody together. This isn't me. This is us. Uh, and I think when you have that, you have a little bit more belief and ownership uh, over what you're doing. And in terms of future opponents, yeah, we've looked at some future opponents. Really, 
you know, that's just more for, for us to get a feel for the league and to make sure we're practicing the right things from a tendency standpoint, whether it's four down, three down, you know, the three high stuff that is trending in the Big 12. It's more just us getting a, a feel for the league as a whole as opposed to, you know, really diving into one opponent. We're just trying to get a, a feel for the league and uh, make sure we're getting reps in fall camp according to what the league plays. Yeah, and I guess uh, so – Everyone talks about the learning curve for new players, uh, for players running a new system. Uh, what has the learning curve been for, for the staff then from a, from a scheme and terminology standpoint? Has it been pretty straightforward? I understand that. I mean, everybody calls something, everybody runs the same stuff, but they call it something different. When you're, when you're working with a new staff, this is something I've always been personally curious about. How long does it really take for a staff to get on the same page from a terminology and technique standpoint? Well, I think the terminology is like, it's just a different language, you know, like, like you just said. And I think we tried to limit the language to the best of our ability. We restarted all the verbiage uh, from square one. We tried to take things that they've done in the past here from a verbiage perspective and see if some of it would fit formationally. Uh, that way there'd be some carryover for the players. And then the coaches, we would sit in there and we'd think of the categories and names and think of how can we put things together for our kids to remember them because that's really half the battle is kids memorizing the playbook and if you don't know the playbook you can't get into the fundamentals and the details so we were really really strategic with how we name things trying to categorize it for players to help them memorize it faster that way we could focus on the details of the game and uh, that's where hiring the best staff you can possibly hire you have two choices you can hire people who know what you call inside zone or you can hire somebody who can coach inside zone the best i'd rather hire the people that can coach inside zone the best can coach wide receiver releases the best um and then all work together for a new verbiage and that's kind of what we did absolutely and i actually have a specific question off of that with uh with inside zone specifically because we've seen um two different schools of thought here over the last decade at oregon in regards to how the zone run game is taught from a from a landmark standpoint on the offensive line to just a philosophy of are we are we really trying to reach guys and get around get around and set up blocks more of like a like a pin and pin and post style of blocking or we're just going through bodies and taking taking them where they go um, what what is your guys' philosophy on inside zone outside zone? Um, what's your what's you and Coach Clem's uh, kind of stance on that? Well, we have a variation of zones. We have a I mean we we run almost every run scheme you can run. To be honest, uh, that's you know kind of what we are. And uh, so we we have a tight zone, which is you know the backside a gap, almost more like a veer. We have a true zone, which is a fun side a gap track, play side number landmark. Uh, then we have a wide zone. Um, and then we have, we don't have the elephants on parade zone. We have other ways to get the ball, all ball to the edge. So we have mm -hmm. a variant of zone tracks that marry with back tracks that can hit the ball, um, you know, based off how the defensive line is playing and how the linebackers are flowing. So I would say we're, we're not one, we're not the other. Uh, we're more, depending on who we're playing, you'll see the track of our back change. So that's that's more of a professional approach than what when, well, at least what we've seen at Oregon over, since Chip Kelly because Chip Kelly was one way and and then uh, obviously the Crystal Ball staff came in and did it a little bit differently. Um, so that's that's interesting. I, I like to see that the the versatility. Um, I know. So in terms of off season, I know a lot of staffs will spend some time doing some professional professional development, traveling to other places, both college and NFL. Did you guys have time to do that this off season? And and if you did, uh, what were some of the stops that you guys made? 
Yeah, we didn't get to get out uh, to go study, but, you know, with technology and Zoom, we got to study, you know, we studied with the Seahawks um, a little bit. And what we do is we really study, you know, the, the key areas of the game and who did it the best at all levels. Uh, D2 football, D1AA football, D1 football, the NFL, you know, who was the best third and long team in the country? Who was the best low red zone team in the country? So we really did a, a dive in. Even if we couldn't get with some of the coaches, we would study the top teams in the country uh, and we would watch the film and just see what their overall philosophy was. Because you alluded to it earlier, it's not always the plays. Uh, usually it's not the plays that make you good. Usually it's, you know, what you believe in when you get to an area of the field. If you get in the low red zone, if you get to the goal line, what, what do you believe in? You know, what are you going to do? What are the three to four things that everybody knows they have to prepare for and you're going to run them? And you may have a wrinkle every week. So I think it's for us, we, we looked at those teams that we felt like did really good in certain categories. And even if we couldn't physically go see them, we broke them down, we studied them, and we just got the overall philosophy and then said, okay, does this philosophy fit with us? Because you can't say we're going to be this on base downs and then completely change yourself on, uh, when you get into different areas of the field. I think that's, I think that's difficult. Uh, so I think you have to find that balance. Yeah, uh, understanding that that football is really cyclical too. Uh, it seems like we're kind of coming out of that ten personnel cycle that we were in for the last decade, where everybody wanted to run a ten personnel wide open spread offense, um, and and people are running a lot more multiple tight end packages. What's kind of your base philosophy? Do you in, in a perfect world where all the players are the same, would you would you like to be an eleven team, or would you just like to be able to be multiple? Well, I mean. In a perfect world, you would like guys to be able to do is you'd like wideouts to be able to play running back or wideouts to be big enough to play tight end. You'd like guys who can be slash positions. You'd like the LeBron James who can, you know, go guard the power forward and always also play point guard, you know. So that would be a perfect world is how many guys can you put on the field uh, and then make the defense match you. You know, at the end of the day, football is basketball on grass. You only have five eligible guys. That's really it. Everybody overcomplicates it. You have five eligible guys, right? Based off who you put on the field, the defense has to put people on the field. And then you have to decide based off who they put on the field, what to call. So it's just like basketball. You got a big dude, big tight end in the game, and they put a little guy, you should probably run the football. If they put a big dude in there to match the big dude, well, maybe you should put him out wide and make him defend a three-point shooter and, you know, let him run the pick-and-roll game out wide with your tight end. Uh, flexed out so there's really not much difference between football and basketball when it comes to personnel grouping so I think the key for us is utilizing our best players uh, in the in the matchups throughout the game and finding those matchups on film yeah that's that's actually something that I've discussed a little bit this offseason that I think is a strength for for this team and for you coming in as a coordinator is you have some really versatile skill position players specifically playing in the slot and at tight end that could allow you to come out in 11 personnel, but play 21 or play 10 or go empty, um, depending on depending on on team and opponent and what package they come out in. So, do you do you believe in playing uh, in personnel locking teams and trying to play multiple personnel looks with the same group? Oh yeah, I mean you wanna you wanna be as versatile as possible. Uh, that's the key to the game, and uh, you know if you're if you're stuck one way or another. Uh, you know, a defense is going to be able to pick up on that and they're going to, you know, play you based off your grouping. I think the key to football is how versatile can you be? 
Uh, you know, can you put 13 personnel on the field and, and run the rock? And if you can, then teams are going to have to match that personnel. And that's when you can really start dictating to teams is when you can run the rock, when you can throw the ball vertically down the field from different personnel groupings, uh, that's when you can start dictating to teams. So we definitely want to be versatile with our personnel groupings. We definitely want to show a lot of personnel groupings and uh, be very formation-driven to create matchups. That's awesome. Yeah, when I think of that, I think of the national title game last year where Georgia was running a lot of 13 personnel, but lining up in 10 personnel uh, looks with their 13 on the field and forcing forcing a defense to put a linebacker out where a nickel traditionally would be or, or a safety would be in a lot of cases. So I think, um, again, I think that with the, with the inherited and then some of the additions that you guys made in your first full recruiting class, that the personnel lends itself to that type of versatility. No question. Um, so throughout your career, you spent a lot of time with different uh, hurry up, no huddle coaches. Uh, what were some of the differences in philosophy and scheme um, that you could identify between Coach Malzahn and Coach Norvell? And um, how do you think that they impacted your own development and play calling philosophy in maybe different ways than the other? Well, I think, uh, you know, right, wrong, or indifferent. Some tempo teams, you know, hurry up. And the tempo is supposed to create explosiveness, whereas we're going to play fast enough that a defense isn't going to get a line and you're going to create explosives. And I think that's where Gus Malzahn revolutionized the game was with the tempo and teams couldn't get lined up and the explosives would happen and he would make teams defend triple option uh, with a running quarterback while playing fast, which had never been done before. Uh, so I got to see that tempo helps create explosives through the lack of defense lining up. Uh, and then you, you present the quarterback run game, triple option, you hit explosives. Norvell and, and that system, the system I've been in more, is a lot more have the ability to do that, but also have the ability to get yourself into good plays, uh, not run negative plays, uh, and make sure that your hat counts are right. And then mix in those tempo calls, knowing the risk of playing fast and knowing that there is a chance that they get you, quote-unquote, schematically. When you play fast, if they get aligned, but having that balance that a defense doesn't know, are you coming at them full speed ahead or are you coming at them full speed ahead to get yourselves into a better play? Absolutely. Um, and with, with that, then, um, at, at what point in, in your career, I guess it would likely be at Memphis, did, did you guys really start to implement the RPO, the RPO game heavily? Oh, I mean, I was running the RPO game heavily back when I was the OC at Chaparral High School when I was 20 years old. Uh, I was lucky that I was at a school and Mike Norvell was at a, was at a college down the road and we would, I would go down and meet with them and they were, that was cutting edge and they were cutting edge at the time running it. And I would go and sit in the meeting rooms, learn it and bring it back to my high school. So uh, we've been, that's been a staple of the offense dating back to when I was a high school coach before I even got into college. And what do you think the progression of the RPO game has really been over the last decade since then? Uh, is it primarily just maybe attacking third-level defenders instead of just first- and second-level guys? Yeah, I mean, the, the, ga it's, it, the game's just evolving. I mean, every year it's different. I mean, there's some similarities every year, but every year it's different. I mean, if you look back to when the zone read, before the zone read started, everybody was a cover three, one high team. Uh, played a little bit of man, then the zone read started, and the only way to get your hat back in the zone read game is to play tight quarters because it fits like cover zero. So then you get your quarterback in the run game, teams play tight quarters, or they play tight man free with the post safety at 10 yards to play the quarterback, which is essentially cover zero. 
Well, then teams started saying, okay, we're going to RPO the overhang players versus quarters teams to stop the run game. And then people started RPOing. So the way to stop RPO is to go back to play man and go back to one high. So teams are now back to more one high defenses uh, and forcing the quarterback to hand the ball. So the game is constantly evolving. I think that it's more or less having a plan for what the defense is going to give you, having a, a plan systematically in the offense uh, for how to attack what you get. And uh, I think that's really the key to RPO is it attacks certain things, but you also, the RPO allows defenses to dictate to you what's happening with the football. And, you know, if, if you have an RPO where you have to throw a single receiver bang eight and you're out there playing, uh, you know, the best corner in college football, you may not want to throw that single receiver bang eight 17 first downs in the football game, but that defensive coordinator is going to give you the read to do so. So I think nowadays you have to have that balance uh, in terms of how much RPO are you running. Otherwise, teams that defenses have caught up and they're going to dictate to you what's happening with the football. And in college football on offense, the key to offense is being the person dictating to the defense. If you get dictated to, that's where you have a problem. Does that where the offensive, um, I guess, equivalent of like what coach landing calls blackboard calls kind of comes into play then where where you know you know what a team is trying to dictate um and you just you call you call it without the read anyway uh a little bit uh kind of kind of the uh, it kind of plays out the opposite on offense than than defense offenses obviously look for ways to get defenses in certain looks and he's not gonna let you do that and you know we're looking to to not get into negative plays or not be dictated to. So, you know, I, th- I would say most RPOs are, are more like blackboard calls where they should have an answer for everything on the whiteboard except for the Jimmy versus the Joe. You could call an RPO every play and nine out of ten times, you know, in a football game, you could blame the player, right? Because mm-hmm. it can get as a one-on-one matchup. And if he doesn't win, you can't throw it and catch it. Well, that's on them. Uh, so I would say – you have to have that balance to give those guys opportunities, but you also have to protect your players. And if there's not great matchups, you've got to be able to not force your guys to have to win those matchups when they're dictating you to win them over and over and over again. Yeah. And so when you talk about getting in and out of good plays, I know there's checks at the line of scrimmage. How, how much of, of your system is checks with uh, checks done by the quarterback? How much of, is it, of it is going to be check with me uh, looking to the sideline to get that from you? I think just purely game by game. I don't, I don't have like a specific number. That's a game by game deal. And that's a, that just depends on the quarterback depends. Are we home or away? How loud is it? What does the defense do when you look to the sideline? How many checks do you have? Can the quarterback manage this check? Is it easy enough? So that's a truly a game by game question. Yeah. The check with me system is something I think happened probably right after I got out of school. And I think it's, it's pretty. It's an interesting way of taking the game back from the defensive coordinator, right? And, and instead of it being a thirty-year veteran defensive coordinator versus the quarterback having to make all the checks himself, now you have a, a, a offensive coordinator who gets to get the last say prior to snap um, versus a defense who's got a bunch of eighteen to twenty-two-year-olds, um, which I think is extremely advantageous depending on how veteran your quarterback is and what his comfort level in your system. One of the things I, I've seen you clinic a couple times that I think is different about you that I'd love to hear you expand on is that you kind of teach uh, you you teach the 
RPO game from the quarterback standpoint, opposite of anyone else I'd ever heard. You teach it from a run fit standpoint. Would you mind to explain to like the the listener why why it is that that you don't teach the coverage first, you teach the run fit first? I just think everything. Anytime you defenses meet, anytime that you install a defense, it's going to be how do you fit the run. Uh, so I think if you can teach quarterbacks how run fits happen, you can teach them how rotation happens. And if you can teach them how rotation happens, you know the coverage. So it really is just a philosophical approach to how we coach uh, in terms of, you know, we want to be able to run the football, but if you're able to, we also have to know why guys are in certain spots in the field. And the why guys are in certain spots in the field is because of the run fit, uh, because of where they fit the box. So if we can understand what gap they have, we can understand which way the rotation's happening. And when you know the rotation's happening, you have a great grasp of what's happening before the ball is snapped. So it's more just how we coach everything. Yeah, no, I I think it's brilliant. Um, If I were to ever get into coaching, that's exactly how I would teach it because I think it's a more holistic understanding for the quarterback because – there can be a lot of nonsense in the back half of the defense pre-snap in terms of, of of how things look, but if you have an understanding of how the defense has to fit the run game, then it's pretty easy to identify what the nonsense is and what's substantive. Um, and so that's why I wanted you to explain that because I think that was of all I've, I watched probably 200 clinics this offseason. I think that was the best thing I heard from any coach, and, and it made me a really big fan of yours, and really made me want to get you on the show to talk about some things so that the fans could kind of hear a little bit about, about your specific approach. I'll shoot you your $50 in the mail for saying something good about me after the <laughs> oh, Thank you. Yeah, of course, of course. Just uh, you, you have to follow through on your end of the deal and let me call the first play of the Georgia game. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Just we, don't worry. It won't, we won't be doing some like cute flea flicker stuff. It, we'll just probably run outside zone, but um, <laughs> that's awesome. Well, is there, is there anything that you want fans to know about your system or is there anything that you've seen maybe said about it that you feel is uh, maybe a misrepresentation or unfair? Is there, is there anything like that that you'd want to address? No, I mean, I just think uh, we want to be efficient. You know, I think that's the biggest fallacy in college football right now is everybody goes and says is an offense good because they look at points per game. And there's so many different ways to be successful that if you have 16 possessions in a game and score 35 points, right, well, okay. So let's say you score 32 points on 16 possessions. You score two points a possession, right? Well, let's say in 12 possessions, you scored 28 points, right? you're much more efficient at 12 possessions scoring 28 points and your team has a better chance to win than the alternative. So I think for us, the key to the game is points per possession. And when we touch the ball, how many points do we get every time we touch it? And that's going to be the goal of the offense. It's not how many points can we score. It's how many points can we score when we touch the ball. Uh, I know kind of one and the same, but it also is drastically different. Yeah, so I guess that kind of leads me to my last question that I had for you. What, what are what are the metrics that you guys use on a weekly basis to evaluate your own performance, other than the grades that you guys find on tape and um, some of some of the more context filled stuff with with film study? Is there any metrics that you guys really like to look at um, so that we can kind of track where you guys are? Well, we look at third downs. You know, third downs. There's only two ways you get off the football field other than scoring. It's you don't convert a third or fourth down or uh, you turn the football over. So we really, really monitor third and fourth downs. We really monitor turnovers. 
uh, and then scoring touchdowns in the red zone. You know, when you talk about the points per possession, uh, you know, it sounds stupid, but like three points versus seven points, right? That's double. A touchdown is worth double a field goal. Like if you get into the red zone four times and kick three field goals, right, you score 12 points you're gonna, and versus 28 points. And when you look at a, a football game, that is a drastic, drastic difference. And the best teams in the country are elite at scoring touchdowns in the low red zone. So th- that's a big, big area of, of uh, you know, of emphasis for us. So those are really the three things that we look for. And the whole goal is to have a high points per possession, not points per game. So some games we may go out there and try to snap the ball a bunch of times. Some games we may go up there and try to get us into the best play a bunch of times. But the key is we're always going to present tempo and you don't know, are we trying to snap it, you know, as fast as we can, or are we trying to wait, see what the defense is doing and get us into a good play. So that's kind of what the, the whole premise of it is, is, is it tempo or is it not? Hence what we say pro style offense that plays fast. Yeah, absolutely. So I got two more questions and I'll let you go. One of them is a little, uh, a little selfish here. Going against coach, the coach landing defense with Coach Toshapoy and Coach Powledge, um, obviously three guys that all come from a tight front background. What are some of the challenges that you think that that defense in particular uh, would present to you as a coordinator or presents to other Pac-12 and, and non-conference offensive coordinators? I mean, I just think the details are coached really well. I mean, I think that's one thing, reason. I know that's boring and it's not scheme-based. Uh, the details are coached really well. The pre-snap pictures uh, compared to the post-snap pictures, uh, they do such a great job with the you know, pressure mechanics. Everything they do, the details that normally you can find a flaw are just done at a very, very high level. So I think that's really something that you know, Coach Landing, Coach Lapoy, Coach Powledge, I think that's something they all do a great job emphasizing what they believe in is the details of it. Absolutely. Um, and then we, ha- we head into your first fall camp as the Oregon offensive coordinator. Like, what are maybe a few things that give you the most confidence about this unit kind of coming into the year? Things that you, you, that you, you think you do well coming out of spring ball um, that you think are staples for the team going into the fall? I mean, I think they care. And I don't want to get too much into the scheme that I think is good. Uh, yeah, Absolutely. But I think our kids care. Uh, I think our kids want to be great. I think, uh, I think they're buying into what we're doing. And I think that's really the most important thing is that our kids care and they believe right now. And, you know, our offseason has been great. has been really, really good. And I, I believe those guys are putting in the work. Uh, obviously, can always be better. But I think they care. Uh, I think they want to be great. And I think that's really what you, what you want as a coach is – Kids who believe, and they care, and they want it. And uh, they're helping each other. When a new guy shows up, those guys are the first person teaching them the offense because the one thing we do differently is we don't go back to square one to teach. We continue to build. We're not a go-back-to-install-one team. We're a, no, we're just continuing to move on. And when you show up, you got to catch up. And uh, that allows our, our vets and our guys that have been here to, you know, be the best players they can be. So, uh, I just think the the passion these guys have to be great. Absolutely. Well, again, coach, we really, really appreciate your time. I know you're really busy. Um, thank you for, for your time and, and giving us this insight. And hopefully we can have you back on after the season to maybe get some self-scout. Sounds good.
I appreciate it. Awesome. All right. Welcome back. So that was, uh, was an incredible interview. And, and again, big, huge thanks to Coach Dillingham and, of course, the, the, uh, the whole department and athletic department and the Oregon football department for giving him permission to come on our show. Um, QB, any thoughts about that? Anything you want to add on to, to that, that great interview you just did? No, I'm just, I've been really excited uh, when, when the hire was made, uh, as is always the case, because we have, there's no way for us to know every coach in America. The questions are, is who is he? What does he believe? What does he want to do? The more studying I did of, of the things that Kenny Dillingham has been, in, been involved with offensively in the past, whether it was Memphis or Florida State or going all the way back to Arizona State, and like he even said, his, his high school days at Chaparral, like there is a lot to like here. I he just he strikes me as a total football nerd in the best most like the best possible way as the big, biggest compliment um and i i just think that philosophically he's exactly what this program needs to kind of move us back in the in the direction of some some more higher flying more explosive offenses um and i i think that the the relationship that him and coach landing have in their philosophical uh, alignment is going to make for some really, really exciting and complimentary football for Oregon. So I'm, I cannot thank him enough for coming on the show and giving us his valuable time. And I'm um, really, really, really excited about what this offense can do this season. Yeah, it's going to be fun to watch for sure uh, on both sides of the ball. All right. I think that wraps up this episode. We did an extra long one last time. We'll make this one a little bit shorter, but we wanted to to bring you this, uh, this interview as soon as possible. So we're going to get this out and, um, Thanks all again for listening, and we'll be back in about another week with our next episode. QB, thanks so much. Thank you.